chapter 10. Genesis chapter 10, and this will be our, our focus for study this morning as we make our way through uh, this whole chapter. We have here what's often called the Table of Nations, or we could think of it today as uh, this chapter as the God of all the nations. God of all the nations. Well, I'm pretty sure they have long gone out of fashion, but I do remember years ago that I think they were called magic eye books. Magic eye books were a bit of a craze. Maybe some of you uh, had a magic eye book on your coffee table at home. Uh, on each page of a magic eye book was a very colourful but apparently meaningless pattern. If you just glanced at it very quickly, you wouldn't see any discernible shape or purpose to, to the colours, the image on the page. But the point of the, the magic eye books was that if you looked at it the right way, if you looked at it for long enough, there was a, a hidden pattern. There was the, maybe an outline of some animal or uh, an everyday household object. There was something hidden on the page. Well, every so often in the Bible you find pages that are a bit like that. Uh, at first glance, uh, Genesis 10, you're probably thinking, how is this of any importance? Why does it matter? Of everything that could have been included in God's word, why does a, a list of strange names of people and nations, some of which don't even exist, uh, why is it here? Certainly not the kind of passage that a preacher would naturally turn to. In fact, if I wasn't preaching through Genesis chapter by chapter, I would probably never preach from Genesis 10. But in fact, friends, on closer inspection, there is a purpose there is a pattern in this passage. If nothing else, this passage reminds us that human beings have all come from the same family tree. Just look at how the chapter ends. Chapter 10, verse 32. These are the clans of the sons of Noah, according to their genealogies, in their nations. And from these, from these, the nations spread abroad on the earth after the flood. Figuring out family trees is a favourite pastime of many people today, uh, figuring out who our ancestors were and where we came from. Uh, this passage takes us right back to where we all began. Interestingly enough, uh, a growing number of scientific experts from various fields today are beginning to agree with the Bible. They might not yet agree, uh, agree on when or where we all came from, but there is growing consensus that we all came from the same family. Human studies are finally catching up with Scripture. This passage gives us what is often referred to as the table of nations. And taken along with the events of chapter 11 at the Tower of Babel, it tells us about God and his purposes for the nations, purposes that are still being worked out right now in our world today. So we want to think first of all today about the fact that God knows all the nations. God knows all the nations. We always need to ask ourselves of any passage of scripture, whether it's a favorite passage or a more obscure passage, why is it here in this particular spot, given what comes before it and what comes after it? Well, one of the main reasons is this passage is here is because Moses wants to show us that God has remembered a promise that he made to Noah. 
If you turn back to Genesis chapter 9, verse 1, this is immediately after Noah and his family have come out of the ark. Chapter 9, verse 1 says, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. God blessed them and told them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. That was the mandate that God gave to Noah as the head of a new humanity. These were God's standing orders, if you like, to the human race after the flood. Have children who have children who have children. And this must have seemed, in a sense, an impossible task for Noah's sons. Yes, okay, they're thinking we have wives, we can have children, but are we really going to be able to fill the earth? Is it really possible for three couples uh, to essentially begin again the entire human race? But Genesis 10 tells us that God enabled it to happen. God blessed Noah, chapter 9, verse 1. And he blessed his family. And he enabled the nations to come from the sons of Noah, just as he promised. And if you look closely at the pattern of Genesis 10, it emphasizes to us God's blessing on each of the sons of Noah. Look at verse 2. The sons of Japheth. And we have them listed for us. And then from verse 6 onwards, we have the sons of Ham listed. And finally, beginning in verse 21, Moses records the sons of Shem. And so you see a bit of the pattern beginning to emerge. The passages split up into three main sections of unequal lengths, one for each of Noah's sons and their descendants. And each section finishes the same way. If you look at verse 31, this is the description that's given to all the the three sons. But verse 31 is an example. These are the sons of Shem, Verse 31, the sons of Shem, by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. And you see the same thing in verse 5 and verse 20. Point is, friends, for each of Noah's sons, God gave a measure of blessing. He kept his promise. And you remember last week in the evening, we saw how God, there was actually a curse pronounced on on, Noah. On Ham's son Canaan by Noah because of the the sin of Ham that we considered last Lord's Day evening. But that curse was only on one of Ham's sons, Canaan, and his descendants. And despite Ham's shortcomings as a son, there is blessing even on him. There's fruitfulness for all these three sons and their descendants. God keeps his promise. If you add up the names of all the different peoples or nations in Genesis 10, taken all together, there are 70 of them here in Genesis chapter 10. 70 is an important number in the Bible. The numbers 7 and 10 are both numbers of completion or perfection in Scripture. We've seen that as we've studied uh, the book of Revelation. And so 7 times 10, 70, the fact that there are 70 names, 70 nations named here, it's a way of saying, friends, that God knows all the nations. God knows all the nations. It doesn't mean that there were literally only 70 nations on earth from this time onwards. Notice again verse 32 at the end of the chapter. It says, from these the nations spread abroad. In other words, more nations came from the nations listed in chapter 10. 
But the point is, friends, that 70 is a, a symbolic number of completion. It's Moses telling us that God knows about all the nations. God provided for all the nations to exist and to spread and to multiply just as he promised he would. I've mentioned to you several times the last few weeks how there were lots of different versions of the flood story in the world before the the book of Genesis was written. All the pagan nations had their own versions of the flood story. And uh, in several of those mythical versions of the flood story, the tiny number of human survivors of the flood, it was just assumed that they wouldn't be able to repopulate the whole earth. And so in those stories, the gods make little human figures out of clay and cause them to come alive. Apparently the pagans thought it was more likely that the human race would come from stone than that just a handful of couples could repopulate the whole earth. But Genesis 10 tells us exactly what really happened. God blessed the nations and God knows all the nations. We'll consider more this evening how God had to intervene to to make sure that the nations did spread out. Uh, We'll see that in chapter 11. But we shouldn't miss the point here in chapter 10, friends. God's knowledge and blessing on all these peoples. Psalm 24 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Or some translations have, The earth is the Lord's and all who dwell in it. There's not a nation, not even a, a single person on this planet who is not known to God. How could there be? Life can only exist because God permits it. That's part of the lesson that chapter 10 is teaching us here. God gives life. God promised life to Noah and God enabled life to flourish after the flood. God has been incredibly good to our world, friends, and he continues to be incredibly good to our world. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. God has blessed human beings with a a rich variety of cultures and The the ability for technological innovation and physical and mental abilities of all sorts and kinds. Psalm Psalm 145 verse 9. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. God has made every one of us in his image to know him, to love him, to enjoy him. Every new life is a life that God has made, born or pre-born. Every family is a family that God has made. Every nation with its history and heritage is a nation that God has made. And yes, people and families and nations are full of faults and problems, but we cannot find fault with God. He knows all. He gives a measure of blessing to all. He rules over all. And so the psalmist can say, Psalm 67, verse 5, Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. Do you realize that you sit here today blessed by God? You might throw out a lot of complaints in response to that. Why hasn't God given me this? Why hasn't he given me that? Where was he when something awful happened to me or my loved one? 
Where is he with all the crises and conflicts going on in the world today? Well, where were you when he gave you good things to enjoy? When you sat down to eat your breakfast this morning, were you thanking him for your food? Did you thank him for a night of sleep safe in your home with no one breaking in to attack you or no bombs dropping upon you? Do you praise him for the beauty of the world in which we live? Do you acknowledge him to be the one who gave you the the power to think and to move and to, to learn and to eat? Where is God when things go wrong? Where are we when things go well? Are we in the place of prayer or worship thanking him and praising him for all that he has done for us? God knows all the nations. Do you acknowledge him to be, to be your God? In some measure at least, in one way or another, he has blessed you. He is a good and gracious and merciful God who knows you and knows all the nations. But secondly, this morning as we think about Genesis 10, we see that the nations do not know God. The nations do not know God. God knows the nations, but the nations do not know him. As we read through this table of nations, we go from the descendants of Japheth to the descendants of Ham to the descendants of Shem. And again, there's, there's a purpose in that. There's a pattern. There's a reason for that. One of the things that Genesis does over and over again is it deals with the less significant before focusing on the more significant. For example, if you think back to the account of creation in Genesis 1, uh, we're told really very little about God's creating of the, uh, the heavens, that is, uh, outer space, the planets, the universe. Told very little about that. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and that's outer space covered. Why is that? Because the focus of Genesis is not on outer space. It's on the earth and the image bearers that God creates on the earth, human beings. And it's the same pattern again here in chapter 10 with this table of nations. The main focus for the rest of Genesis will be on the line of Shem. And so before we get to the line of Shem, we deal with Japheth and Ham. Japheth is dealt with very quickly. His descendants are listed in verses 2 and 5. And you can refer to the map that I put into the WhatsApp group if if you want some help with this. But notice Moses says in verse 5 that, From Japheth's descendants, the coastland peoples spread in their lands. Japheth's descendants, friends, include the Greeks, the Eastern Europeans, possibly even some Western Europeans. We can't be certain precisely about where some of these names refer, but amongst commentators and researchers and historians, there is actually quite a degree of confidence about where many of these people ended up. Uh, Kittim, for example, in verse 4, there's pretty widespread agreement that the Kittim tribe settled on what is now the island of Cyprus. And in fact, uh, I have friends in Cyprus, as you know, you met some of them last summer, and I've actually stayed with friends who live in a town called Kitty, uh, outside Larnaca on the island of Cyprus. So whether that comes all the way down from Kittim, I'm not sure. Other names are traced to the Balkans here in Japheth's descendants. Modern-day Ukraine, in fact, is listed uh, amongst some of them. The point about Japheth's descendants, friends, is that they settled farthest away 
from the people of Israel. These were the tribes and nations that Israel had virtually no contact with whatsoever. And so Moses deals with them pretty quickly and gets them out of the way. In verses 6 to 20, though, we have the descendants of Ham. And we're more familiar with some of the names that we read in the line of Ham. Look at verse 6. Verse 6. Egypt, Canaan, Babel, or Babylon, Nineveh, Sodom, Gomorrah. What do all those names have in common? Well, at one time or another, these people were enemies of God's people. Egypt was where the Israelites were kept as slaves for 400 years. Babylon was where the people of Judah were carried off in exile. Nineveh became the capital city of Assyria, a pagan superpower that virtually destroyed the kingdom of Israel. Sodom and Gomorrah, of course, were cities of incredible wickedness and immorality, which we'll see and study later in Genesis. In fact, when we boil it all down, friends, the vast majority of names in this table of nations are people and nations who did not worship God. People and nations who, within an incredibly short period of time after the flood was over, turned their backs on God. Does that not say something to us, friends, about the depths of human pride and stubbornness and sin? Shem, Japheth, Ham, they were all on the ark with Noah. They saw what God did, judging the sin of the world, starting afresh, making his promises. And yet a generation or two later, their descendants forgot They ignored, they rejected the God who had so graciously blessed them. Where did all those myths and silly stories about the flood and about the gods and all, where did all of that come from? Well, it came from the descendants of Shem and Ham and Japheth who wanted to come up with stories that would excuse them from not bothering to worship the true God of Noah. We're not told of anyone on this list of names calling upon the name of the Lord in the way that Seth and Noah did. In fact, the impression we get is that human beings, generally speaking, quickly began sinning in the same sorts of ways that they did before the flood. We're not given much detail about the names on this list of who they were, what they did, except for one man. If you look at verse 8, Cush fathered Nimrod. He was, the f- he was the first on earth to be a mighty man. Now that maybe sounds like quite a positive thing until you consider that it's the, same descri- it's the same description that Moses gave to the Nephilim before the flood. Chapter 6, verse 4. These were the mighty men, the men of renown. It means, friends, that Nimrod was a violent man. He was a dangerous man. He was an aggressive man. Verse 9 says that he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Uh, The word hunter in this context, some writers suggest that it means that Nimrod hunted other men. This was something that pagan kings did in the ancient world. They hunted human beings for sport. And possibly that's what Nimrod did. 
Nimrod's name means let us rebel. Let us rebel. One writer says he is typical of how the ancient empires came into existence. Babylon, Egypt, Assyria. They were places built on human ambition, human pride, human arrogance, and oftentimes human bloodshed. And so despite all God's grace and patience, despite his blessing on the lines of Shem and Japheth and Ham, virtually none of them called upon the name of God. And of course, human nature hasn't changed. The vast majority of people around us today, they're simply not interested in being here this morning to praise God with us. They have no desire to know God. That's the state of our nation today, generally speaking. Many people in our country today are blessed by God. And the way that these nations were blessed, they have family, they have friends, they have neighbors who have repeatedly told them the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ that through repentance of sin we can be saved by his grace. And yet many people around us remain stubborn and arrogant and do not know the Lord. How many times did you hear Christians say in the early days of the pandemic, certainly I heard it several times, maybe this will make people think about God. Did it? Not on any large scale, as far as we're aware. We certainly haven't seen national revival from it. See, some Christians think if there was just some big event, if, if there was some awful calamity or difficulty or national shock to the system, that would make people call upon God. Well, in the last six years, we've had Brexit, a global pandemic, and now a war on European soil. None of it has caused people to call upon God in huge, vast numbers as far as we're aware. Why not? Because unless God, by his Spirit, chooses to transform human hearts, friends, human hearts will never cry out in faith to God. And this passage emphasizes to us the patience of God in the face of the stubbornness and pride of human sin. That God even allows human beings to keep drawing breath despite their wickedness. I wonder, has God been very patient with you? Has he allowed you to go on and on and on living on your own terms? Rebelling against him in how you speak or how you act and even how you think? You've been turning your back upon him and yet here you are today, still alive, still able to hear this message, still not punished despite all your sin. Romans 2 verse 5 says, Because of your hard and impenitent heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. God knows all the nations and he knows you too. He sees you. And he will judge you eventually for your sin unless you repent. Unless you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. The one that God has sent to all the nations. And that brings us lastly to consider today God's purpose for all the nations. God's purpose for all the nations. We'll consider it in more detail this evening. But of course the only reason these nations spread across the earth at all was because God forced them to. God came down and intervened at Babel and scattered them across the earth. 
And that was, in a sense, an act of judgment, but it didn't mean, friends, that God was finished with the nations. The nations turned their backs on God, but God did not turn his back on the nations. The last of Noah's sons that we read about in Genesis 10 is Shem and the descendants of his line, uh, verses 21 to 31. And someone in Shem's family will be the focus for the rest of Genesis. In fact, you could even say the rest of the whole Bible. Just look at verse 21. To Shem also the father of all the children of Eber or Heber. Heber was Shem's grandson. He's mentioned again in verses 24 and 25. Why does Eber get several extra mentions? Why is his name included several times? Well, we can't be 100% certain about this, but most writers suggest that it is very likely that the name Eber or Heber is where the term Hebrew came from. The Israelites were sometimes known as the Hebrews, the children of Abraham. And Abraham was born into the line of Heber. And so you see, friends, for Moses, writing this book originally for the Israelites as they head towards the promised land, he's giving them their family history, he's giving them their family tree, and he focuses in, most of all, on the line from which they came. Seventy nations are listed in Genesis chapter 10. That number would have rung a bell immediately in the years of the Israelites as they made their way to Egypt. Genesis 46 verse 26 tells us that when the ancestors of the Israelites first arrived in Egypt, (coughs) Jacob and his family, there were 70 of them. 70 people in Jacob's family. So what does it mean? 70 names in the table of nations, 70 people in the nation of Israel when it first began. Well, it means, friends, that out of all the nations of the world, God has a special interest in Israel. That out of all the mighty, ambitious, proud superpowers of the world, Egypt and Babylon and Assyria, God instead chooses to concentrate his blessing on tiny little Shem, Heber, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and his sons. These people would, by God's grace, call upon him. They would come to know the kind of God he was. They would be able to enter into covenant relationship with him and enjoy special blessing from him. But they wouldn't just get blessing from God. The whole reason that God chose Abraham and his descendants was that they, so that they could share the blessing of God with the nations. When God called Abraham for the very first time, he made clear that it wasn't just for the sake of blessing Abraham himself that God was calling him. Genesis 12 verse 3, God says to Abraham, In you all families of the earth shall be blessed. That from Abraham will come a blessing for all these nations. What exactly was that blessing? It's the blessing, friends, of redemption, salvation, forgiveness of sins through the Lord Jesus Christ, who, of course, was born into the line of who? Abraham. Jesus Christ is God's greatest blessing for the nations, a blessing to be shared with all the nations. 
And it's striking that in one particular case, we find that number 70 appearing again during the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus on one occasion sends out missionaries two by two to spread the word about him and his kingdom. And he sends out 70, perhaps 72, depending on your translation. But we can say that he sent out at least 70. Was that just a random number that occurred to the Lord Jesus? No. It was a statement from Jesus. This was him saying, I have come for all the nations of the earth. And likewise, before he ascended back into heaven, Jesus sent out his apostles to begin a mission that still continues today. It's still our mission today, friends. And Jesus said to his disciples, go and make disciples of who? All the nations. Baptizing them, teaching them. See, friends, our our patient, wise, merciful, holy God still has his eye on all the nations. The King and Head of our church, the Lord Jesus Christ, rules over all the nations. And he has sent us as his ambassadors to the nations. And so the church today is part of that hidden pattern on the page like the ones in those old magic eye books that pattern that at first glance seems messy seems pointless it seems like where is this going but that pattern that has a purpose nonetheless the church is the greatest blessing that god has given to the nations of africa and asia and europe and everywhere else because the church carries the good news of healing for the nations redemption for the nations forgiveness for the nations and so the question for you and me today is do we share our saviour's love for the nations and I see good evidence in this congregation that we do that we pray for missionaries near and far for churches near and far as we've done today when there are opportunities to hear from them and support them and encourage them The evidence, as far as I see, is that we eagerly take those opportunities. But friends, may we be ever more eager to give, to pray, to go, if God would so will, so that more people from more nations would be brought to know and love the Lord Jesus Christ. And not just people from nations away off on the other side of the world, but people here in our own nation. You're as spiritually needy as anyone else in the world today. There's a good chance that we are descended, you and I, from the people of Japheth. The nations that were farthest away from Israel in ancient times. And yet here we are today, on the very edge of Europe, worshipping the son of Abraham, the son of God, King Jesus, part of the true Israel. People had to pray and give and go for our nation to hear this good news. Will we pray and give and go so that the remaining nations might hear this good news? Amen.